Welcome to the Dealing with Sexual Attention Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Dana. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join us in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photography or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Asket basket is being circulated. It's a blue plastic basket. And just keep it going because people have questions as they come up. Anyway, it's being circulated for the question and answer portion of this meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this workshop or any other meeting. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. The format for this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this session is Dealing with Sexual Attention. Our first speaker is Allison. Hi, everybody. My name is Allison. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. Oh, golly. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Can you hear me now? All right. That's okay. How's that? Better? All right. I get loud when I get animated, I promise. Uh, I'm sorry. I just need to put my notes in order. I am so nervous about leading this meeting. And, okay, I'm trying to do too much right now. Hold on. That's part of my problem. I tried to do too much. Um, okay. Okay, so I'm a compulsive overeater. My name is Allison, and I am up here from the San Fernando Valley. If you don't know where that is, it's down in Los Angeles County. Welcome to Region 2. I'm so grateful to be here, and I'm so happy to be among my fellows and among my friends, and I feel such love and understanding in these rooms. So I really want to open up and tell you what this means to me and what it's like for me. I'd like to say, oh, this topic was hand-selected for me, but really it wasn't. It was the one that was left. When, when they finally called and said, we'd like you to lead, and they said, well, you can do, there's this or there's relapse, and I've never relapsed. So this was it, and um, I, I think that my higher power just wants, you, wants me to tell you about my experience, my strength, and my hope, because there certainly is a history. Uh, to qualify, I, uh, boy, am I a compulsive eater, but I have been coming to Overeaters Anonymous, and I have six years of abstinence. I'm maintaining a weight loss of over 100 pounds. And I thank you for that. I thank that. I thank this program. They have been the best six years of my life, bar none. Um, what I find in these rooms just fills me with, with joy and love. So, um, okay. This is a really difficult topic because I can come up here and tell you about my food. I can tell you about my weight. I can tell you about the struggles I have in program. But when it comes to sexual attention, then I'm starting to tell you my secrets, 
really my secrets. And I have to say that, and my sponsor is up here with me, um, I have to say that in the last couple of weeks, I was really agitated and I was really angry and I, you know, I didn't exactly know why and I was putting cream in my coffee. And for me, cream in my coffee is a gateway drug. That is a gateway to ice cream. You know, I have no business putting any kind of creamer in my coffee. It's not, so there's something going on and I can't figure out what it is. And earlier this week I started thinking, well, you know, the convention is coming up and I probably ought to give it some thought um, about what I'm going to say. And it really led to kind of a, a petite inventory on my sexual behavior. And that's like the last thing that I wanted to do, the last thing I wanted to do. But I did it. And I got a lot of relief from it. But I also discovered a lot about my disease. And my experience has been in these rooms that there are a lot of people just like me. So I'm just going to tell you my secrets. And, you know, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust you. Um, the truth is that I'm also a drug addict. And uh, my primary drug has always been food. But I have tried to control my weight by using amphetamines of every strength known. And that, for as many years as I can remember, was the way that I tried to be normal, you know, was either by just going like this the whole time. But also intertwined in there um, was, uh, I'm a compulsive man-eater, and that's the truth. I plowed through men like I plowed through a meal. And um, with about as much attention to detail, really. But that is that is my truth, is that sex, uh, sexual attention, ooh, I sounded so proper there, and I'm not, um, that, that was a big component. So I just, I want to put it out there that that was a cycle of my disease, that when I was thin, I was in it. You know, when I was thin, I could wear those four-inch heels. When I was thin and taking speed, I could be up all night long, tromping down Sunset Boulevard, dancing my ass off, and taking it home and wrapping it around. I mean, I had a good time. Well, relatively speaking, I thought I was having a good time. But um, so that, I mean, that's, that's probably that's one of my secrets. So, okay, so I, when, I, when I thought about um, dealing with sexual attention, I thought, that's a lot in those four words. Like, so really, I think I should start off with, you know, dealing badly with sexual attention because initially that's, that's really what it, it looked like. For me, my experience is that I am a survivor of incest. Um, my brother molested me for many, many years. And I, and I just want to say, and I, I don't want to belabor this because it's not, you know, my recovery is about my recovery. But I think that a lot of us have the same situation where, like, I can remember being a compulsive overeater. This is going to age me. But I remember having um, bowls of junket in the refrigerator. And if you're old enough to remember what junket is, then you probably didn't have a TV either. But um, I can remember there being, you know, like, and being very small, like three, and going into the refrigerator and eating the, it's pudding. And um, I, can also, I can also remember at that time, at that age, about three, being lost all the time and being found by people and taken, because my, we were really neglected kids. I remember walking across the Venice Boulevard, which is a huge boulevard to get to the, um, the candy store. It actually was a liquor store, but to me it was the candy store, kind of the same thing. 
But really, just, you know, nobody, who's watching Allison? Nobody's watching Allison, and nobody was watching my brother. And so given my disease, given um, the neglect, it was kind of like the perfect storm, you know? And my brother started molesting me when I was eight years old, and, you know, that just changed all the rules. It really did. I, I, I just, aside from kind of being a little bit damaged already, that just threw me over the top in terms of um, my value to anybody. I think that, and so I've, as I've been thinking about it, I think that, you know, what are we looking for when we go to the pizza? As a child, what was I looking for when I wanted to overeat? I was looking for love, right? I was looking for mom. I was looking for something to latch onto and to draw substance from. from. I was really looking for that love. And the same is true in a sexual sense. Why do we allow ourselves to be um, diluted, diluted, diluted? Why, do we, why did I allow myself to be prostituted? Because I was looking for love. I wanted to feel valued. I wanted to feel whole. I wanted to feel complete and purposeful. And obviously that was the wrong well. It's only been in this program where I've actually been able to find love and I've been able to find purpose. But what did I know? You know, I was an eight, I was an eight-year-old girl, and and so for me, and, and again, I don't I don't want to talk too much. But I don't want to spend your time there. Um, so I was about eight years old when my brother started molesting me, and then eventually he pimped me out to his friends for a profit. So I have to tell you that, that there came a time when I was doing my um, amends. I used to steal money from my brother. He had a paper route. And I would go in and I would take quarters. I would steal money from him. And, of course, I would go to the liquor store and buy, you know, candy. That's right. Um, and so I didn't know how to reconcile in my mind because, to me, that was my money, right? He was earning money because he was selling me. So, anyway, I had a wonderful um, woman who told me that we – you know, if you if you feel like you owe that money, then you send it to a charity. You don't ever have to give it back to him. And I just tell that to anybody who might need to know that. So, um, okay. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. I feel, I feel a lot of love. Thank you. So, okay. Sexual attention. Okay, so really, and, and that opened up the floodgates. So what happened to me was, that, that when I went into junior high, I started putting on a lot of weight. When I reached adolescence, I started putting on a lot of weight. I probably went into junior high weighing about, and I always felt fat anyway, but I went into junior high very voluptuous, probably weighing 175, 200, and really my weight steadily went up. And as it went over that tipping point, and we all know what that tipping point is, whatever that is for you, you know, the sexual attention stopped. And that was a relief. And so that was another equation, right? I mean, all of a sudden I'm learning this, this currency of sexuality. If I, and that was when I discovered white. So I would take the speed and my weight would go down, and then I would start to get sexual attention again. And I discovered in my own twisted sense that this, ha- that this was a currency of sorts, that if I gave out these sexual favors, then I would get something in return. And those are the motives that in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about that. You know, what are our motives? And I have to be very cognizant of those. I'll just jump ahead over here. So, like, what it's like now, I have to be very careful about my motives. Um, 
I like, I still get looks, you know? And I am like a heat-seeking missile. I see those looks. Now, in the old days, because I like it, because it feels good, period. It feels good to be appreciated. It feels good to feel pretty. It feels good to wear nice clothes. It feels good to be able to wear heels, all those things. It feels good. Um, But I have to be very careful about my motives because oftentimes my motives are sloth. Somehow, if I can manipulate this man at work to give me a break, I don't have to do the work. I mean, there's, there's a benefit to that character defect, which is my character defect of vanity. I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to go back to my notes. I really can't trust my own mind. I'm sorry. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. So, oh, okay. Just as twisted as the food is in my head, um, so it was the relationships that I had with men. And what I think about that is that you know, as a compulsive overeater, when I'm in my disease, I don't want to eat chicken and broccoli. I don't want to eat cabbage or cauliflower. I don't want to drink eight bottles of water a day. I don't want to eat like that. I want to eat deep fried foods. I want to eat recreational sugar. I want to eat, you know, I want to go to the bakery. I want to have Taco Bell. I want to drive through and then cook a healthy meal at home. I mean, I don't make good choices when I'm in my disease. And the same was true for me when I was young and in my disease and being being a man-eater, so to speak. I didn't pick the nice guys. I didn't pick the guys who were available and wanting a sincere and loving relationship. My disease is twisted. My disease will twist choices that I make, and it's never about loving myself. It's never about taking care of myself. It's never about doing the right thing or being of integrity or being of honor or looking ahead into the future. It's never about that. It's about now. It's about immediate gratification, whether it's driving through the drive-thru or going home with somebody um, that I met when I was dancing. I, I don't want to have, I didn't want to have those healthy relationships. So I dated men who were married. I dated men who were very, very wealthy and knew better than to, you know, commit to a woman like me. I um wanted to go out with men who were unavailable, or I I also liked really handsome men because somehow if I was going out with a guy who was really, really handsome, that meant that I was really, really pretty, and I really wanted to be pretty. My mom used to say, you know, act as pretty as you look. Okay. I mean, that was big in my house was being pretty. That was a big commodity, and, and it was just a step over into the sexuality. So I didn't make healthy choices with men, uh, no more than I made healthy choices with my food. It was about immediate gratification. I never thought about the consequences, and I'm, I'm grateful that, well, you know, I don't know. I'd like to say, oh, there weren't any consequences, only because I didn't get a, a sexually transmitted disease. I, um, I did get pregnant, actually, but this was... But that worked out okay. It's my husband, and we've been married 20 years now, and, you know, it's, it's okay. It wasn't okay. Anyway, God can do for me what I cannot do for myself, so I'm I'm grateful about that. But um, so, okay, I had a point there, and I'm so sorry. Oh, I did want to talk a little bit about body image. Um, because just as I never thought straight about men, 
and what that, you know, uh, what a man is for, what a man is about. I never had right-sized expectations of a partner. I always thought that he was supposed to be a hero or a knight in shining armor or he would take care of me 100% or he was just going to, you know, take me away. And I had all these big dreams and fantasies about marrying somebody and leaving. I don't know why that was, leaving. Well, we know why that was. I wanted to leave. And then coming back, you know, being really wealthy and having a lot of kids and being thin. And, I mean, men were just such a fantasy. I never really knew what it meant to have a normal, right-sized, interactive relationship. I never I never saw that in my home, certainly. Um, and I just couldn't even think what that would look like to, to model that or to ask that for myself. Body image. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 52 years old right now, and, oh, thank God, I have 10 minutes left. <laughs> I'm just going to jump ahead. Because, you know, and I, I really I don't want to be back there, so that's good. So um, my body image has never been normal. I've never seen my body the way that it really is. I would look in the mirror, and I would see, you know, from here, oh, you have such a pretty face, but I really never saw this body. Even when I was thin, I thought I was fat. Even when I was fat, I didn't think I was that fat. And my experience has been that um, even when I was heavy, there were always men who were willing to exploit my sexual vulnerability, really, you know. And those were really dark times for me, knowing how I was, really, how unattractive I was, and yet, you know, wanting so desperately to believe the lies and the promises. Those interactions never came without lies and promises, whether I heard them or not. I said, you know, those interactions always came with with lies and promises, whether they were verbal or, or just in my own head. You know, I really thought that every encounter would somehow bring a reward. So what happened when I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and I, and I just am so grateful for this, is I had to start doing some work and looking at um, my part, you know, my motives. I came into these rooms, and um, I was taking, it wasn't Fen Fen, it was just the one Fen, and they said it was the fine, that was fine, it was Fen Fine. I was taking this drug, and I was down, and you know, I was getting a lot of sexual attention. I was getting a lot of attention. I was getting a lot of, oh, you're st- you look great. You look great. And so I knew that I had to, I had to make a change. So I came into these rooms, and it occurred to me that my thinking was maybe not right. You know, that I didn't see things quite right. That I might have to change a bit about um, the way that I saw myself and the way that I see other people. And I've had some really nice um, experiences in exercising these newfound thoughts, these new th- these newfound ideas. I uh, after I'd been coming here about a year, well, after I'd, a year absent, I changed jobs and I went to work for an organization that is a very um, well-established, conservative, um, large respected organization, and I work at the regional offices full, full of men and women, whatever. (laughs) I don't care about them. As long as I look better than all of them. 
But I, I mean, full of men who are educated, and I don't know why, but they're all tall, too. They're educated, and they're tall, and they dress really nice. And this was a perfect way for me to work my program. A lot of them are my clients. You know, I work in partnership with them. The job that I do is uh, in partnership with them. And, you know, I could truly and easily exploit my, um, exploit that sexual attention because it still comes. I, I find that um, vanity is a big character defect. I always want to look good. I always want to look pretty. I always want to wear high heels and a suit. And <sighs> Okay, here's, oh, this is terrible. And I have to tell you, I can't let it go out of my head. The other day I was wearing a suit. See, I like to wear those suits that are really tight, like the, the pencil skirts. But you can't wear those and wear granny panties. You, I have to wear a thong. But the other day, I, I tripped. And so I, made, I just made a promise to myself that I would never, I can't wear it. Anyway, you're going to have to edit this out. But um, my, my vanity knows no bounds, you know. I'm, I'm willing to expose my 52-year-old wrinkled 100-pound up and down, up and down, up and down butt so that I don't have panty lines in my suit. Come on. That's really bad. My vanity is so strong sometimes because I really want to be able to manipulate men and that was what it was about back then and even now you know if I could manipulate my brother to give me money if I could manipulate him to do my work if I could manipulate the the men that I'm working with if I could it, it it's a currency that I want to use to my advantage and it just got old once I started work coming into these rooms and realizing how uncomfortable I was with those interactions, how I didn't want to risk my job. I didn't want to um, be an underachiever. Thank you. Um, so what it also, so sexual attention, it also, uh, I feel a little bit like a fraud because I've been married for 20 years now. And in terms of sexual attention, my husband, he's a vet, you know, he's a veteran. He pretty much big, small. You know, he's, he's pretty consistent. So, But what's happened inside my head is that I don't, I don't use that sex as a weapon even on my husband. I have to have a conversation with him. I don't, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but I would, if I was mad at my husband, then I, I just wouldn't pay him any attention. And eventually he'd want a little attention, and he'd do whatever I thought that I wanted him to do so that he could get a little attention, and that's not how it works anymore. So much of what I was looking for in sexual attention, um, it's better now because I know that I really just want love. That's what we're looking for is love. I want a relationship with my husband that's about love, and I, and I want friends who love me, and I want, you know, um, relationships with clients that are about respect. That sexuality is such a red herring, you know. That's, that's just sex. That's nothing. When it's, well, when it's good, it's something. But, you know, take that out. What, are, what, are, what am I really looking for? I want respect. I want to feel good about the work that I do. I want to have um, a good, healthy relationship with my husband, however that manifests itself. I want to be um, living a life of integrity and purpose. And I have to take that component away, even though it's a default, even though it's simple, even though it's still there, if I wanted to be there, you know, I could, I could. I don't want to live like that anymore. I, I came into these rooms and I realized that working these steps 
gives me an opportunity to connect with a higher power and know whether I'm, I'm being honorable in, in all my affairs. So what it's like today, you know, it is better today. I, I think that I've changed my way of thinking as best as I can. I feel very loved and cherished at home, and that that kind of takes the drumbeat out of that need to get that confirmation. Um, when I find myself in my head standing up a little straighter, wearing a heel, you know, just really wanting that sexual attention, it's typically something that I have to work on. There's something inside of me that's feeling um, invalidated. And I... I have to say, I, I, and I just say this because I, I think there might be people here who have the same history. Um, I don't have a relationship with my brother anymore. I mean, I've worked through that to the best of my ability. I'm only six years in program. Maybe that will change. You know, I, I don't know. But today, I, I don't have a relationship with him. That's such a painful experience. I just, I just came out of the chute damaged. And a part of what we do here is just trying to learn to forgive ourselves. I try to forgive myself when I when I see those feelings, when I see that activity and behavior here first. Um, I know that I probably need to do some work. So I don't know that I have anything else to share. I, I really appreciate your um, hearing me out. And can I stop? <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. And um, our second speaker is Marissa. Hi, I'm Marissa, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I feel incredible humility right now. Um, uh, thank you all of you for being here. And um, as I was sharing earlier, everyone here, um, everyone, we're all the same. And um, and that's to be able to trust is pretty amazing. So. Okay, here we go. Um, I came into program in the fall of 2006. At my first meeting, I would say that I definitely had a spiritual awakening. I, that morning, was laying in bed and I couldn't get out of bed my back was out. Um, I was a few days shy of my 30th birthday. And um, compulsive overeating, which had had its flare-ups throughout my life, had become my lifestyle. It had become waking up in the morning and feeling like, oh, God. Okay, what am I getting for breakfast? Then what am I going to chase it with? Then where am I going to go? Is it close to that place? Okay, because i got to get that. And, you know, it became my whole existence if I could leave the house. That was good. 
um, some darker times were not being able to leave the house. So much shame around body image I didn't even want to be around in the daylight. Pretty sad. That's where it was at. Um, so what I want to say about that, that day, I don't know, I consider it a miracle. It was my grandmother's birthday. It's not for me to take her inventory. She's um, passed now. She's passed then. Um, but I would say she was the uh, the matriarch of compulsive overeating in, uh, in our family history. And on her birthday, September 12, 2006, I went to my first meeting, and I don't know how I found it. I think I typed into the uh, Google. I think I typed happy into Google, um, which I had done lots of times. Uh, it'll actually take you to this, like, drugstore in New Jersey. But um, anyway, somehow, I don't know, as an act of God, I don't know what happened. I, I went to my first meeting, and I experienced a spiritual awakening. I saw people... I went there to punish myself because I was fat, and um, and I was surprised to see that all these skinny people were at the meeting, and they had they were like nicely dressed and humorous and having a good old time, and I was like, hmm. Um, and there was a guy up there, and he was like, you know, I just ran a marathon or something, and I was like, and for the first time in many years, I allowed myself to open my heart to feel hope, and I didn't feel alone, and so for several months, I was in OA and. Um, I kind of dieted slash, I mean, on one hand, I immediately, I'm going to get to sexual attention, I promise, but on one hand, I immediately, um, I immediately was hit, struck abstinent from my most lethal binge foods. But it wasn't until um, that spring in 2007, um, May 30th, that I, um, I decided to call myself self-abstinent and so my you know my abstinence is that you know I don't eat sugar and flour that's my bottom line I weigh my food um, when I can most of the time um, I you know I have a food plan my food plan is my plan that supports my abstinence every day I have to wake up and make a plan for that day to support my abstinence um, what's my point um, Okay. Becoming abstinent. I just accepted my three-year tip not too long ago. Uh, yeah. Thank God. Um, <laughs> and so, um, um, becoming abstinent for me was actually uh, stepping into what I call a sense of belonging. I chose at that moment. I had been abstaining from my binge foods, but I chose at that moment to walk into the circle and say, I am a compulsive overeater. I belong here. And um, it was a huge transformative experience. Now, okay, I came into OA. Before I took this abstinence vow, um, or surrendered to it, that is, my story is that weight melted off me like butter. I mean, you know, that's my experience. Um, I, that was my experience. I would wake up every morning. It was just unbelievable. It was flying off faster than I could keep track. And I think it was the support of the fellowship and uh, the meetings and a bunch of sponsors and just everything. Just, I went to a lot of meetings. So this is what I want to say about sexual attention. The first place I needed to deal with sexual attention was my own sexual attention towards myself. When I lost 80 pounds, I thought I was hot shit. And um, 
I had been playing a game with my identity for years around my weight. It was, you know, before program, it was always like the weight, the weight, the weight. I went to program, and I, the gift is I realized it was the eating, the eating, the eating, the eating. And um, it was how can I get thin, not how can I stop eating. I went to OA. I realized it was the eating. Okay, great. So, but then came the weight, which I had wanted all this time. So it took me, like, what, six months to lose weight I had been, like, trying to lose for six years. Um, miracle. But all of a sudden, my whole life experience changed. I fit into chairs differently. I looked in the mirror. I looked different. My face took a different shape, okay? Like, I don't look the same. Like, people I went to school with two years previously do not recognize me for some reason. They don't even recognize me. I'm like, hello? We went to school together? Like, they didn't recognize me. And I was getting so much hit from that. I mean, I would just take myself out and literally get dressed up. I would spend all my time thinking about what I was going to wear and how I was going to look hot. And I would literally just like stand there. And like, I never thought about what I was going to say once I got to the party. I just thought about like, okay, I did it. I got it all right. I got it all perfect. I, I'm, I'm playing the game of that girl. And, um, and then, you know, <laughs> And I was trying to make up for years of self-hatred for the fat girl. And I'm sorry if that's offensive, but that's the way, you know, my, you know, I speak to myself when I'm in my disease. And that fat girl had a lot of time to make up for. Oh, I'm so sad. The 20s. When you're in your 20s, you're supposed to be, like, beautiful and effortlessly thin. And I fucked that up. So um, now I'm 30, and I got a lot of catching up to do. And um, so I really experimented with, for me, sexual attention is about power, okay? So it's like I very much understood from a very young age that my femininity, my body, my ability to bat my eyes and know how to, know how to work it, um, a natural talent, um, you know, could get me what I want. Um, or could get me into some scary places, and I liked the edge of the danger. So from a very young age, I grew up young with brothers who were like 10, 12 years older than me, um, who were, in fact, sexually inappropriate with me. What do you know? Um, and um, as, and their friends, they had fun too. And, um, you know, mostly a lot of it was some, it was a lot of inappropriate um verbiage towards my body and physical stuff too but I sort of started to figure out how much power was associated with like how much I used my body showed my body what I wore how I acted and it became about power so I came into the program and I realized I was powerless over food but boy the power of being thin so I became a vampire um, and I would go out at night and I would put on sexy outfits oh I was like a teenager right like right away I just started buying party dresses like I was going to parties 
I was buying party dresses. I was going and buying $200 worth of makeup. I was like a teenager, like, who just hit the jackpot. You know what I mean? I could suddenly walk into stores and buy stuff I could never have even looked at before. And now I could buy it. And I really started to get the ego that I was, like, somehow better, you know? And, like, when the when the store girls would, you know, be at the store and say, I think maybe you need a size, you know, down. I think you need a size, you know, blank, or maybe you should get the blank. And like, and I'd be like, it was just like ego rama. So it's like the sexual attention was my own. You know, like I was just in this vanity trap. And um, and so like I would go out at night, and I would, and and I, you know, I had just come out of a seven-year relationship with a woman. I was a lesbian. Um, and you know, as soon as I got recovery and, like, got, like, this body and I was like, woo, then she left, right? So that's another story. She should probably go to another program. But, like, you know, um, that dynamic stopped working, right, as I worked with my addiction. So then all of a sudden I was like, I was ready to get back the power that I had lost as a little girl. So I would go out at night and I would go out and I would find the most dangerous man in the room. I mean, the one that was the biggest. He looked the meanest. He had the biggest hands. He looked like he'd kill me, okay? And I was like, that one. And I would pick that one, and I would seduce him on the dance floor, by the bar, whatever. You know, I know exactly what to do. And um, and get them all excited physically. I would confirm that they were physically excited. And then I would lead them on that I was going to sleep with them. And then, right before we left the bar, I would look at them, and I would be like, fuck you, and I would leave. And these guys were like, what? You bitch? You know? And I said, hey, you fucking bitch. You know, and I'm like, and I was just like, ha, fuck off. You can't touch me, ha. Like, you just really just, like, walk away. Right? Okay. I had done this, like, several times, and I would walk away, and I would walk home, and I'd be like, yeah, you want me. You can't have me. I'm too afraid for you to even see me or know me or anything. That's another story. But, like, you know, I was just, like, I was hooked on danger, you know. And, like, finally, one night, I, I found one of the most dangerous gentlemen, and he um, he was, like, up visiting San Francisco from, like, somewhere and he was a gangster basically he told me he was a gangster he had a, a, a rod arm and he was on speed and he had like his, his shoulder was all screwed up I mean this guy had been shot up he was a gangster he was like messed up so you can imagine where I was going right so I was also like trying to find this like I I chased the danger chased the dangerous guys into the worst bars you know I wasn't at the classy bar right so anyway so here I am with the gangster who's on speed and I'm getting him all excited and I'm going to pull another one of my piece out, and he wasn't going to have that. And then he started to chase after me down the street with his boys. Now I'm running down the street, okay? I'm getting chased, and I'm like, and, got, and I have like a spiritual moment where I realize <laughs> that, yeah, right? I realize that this has got a lot of hands. So, um... I pray to God, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, I had, whatever. That took some time to work itself out. And then I found this new way to deal with sexual attention, which is I would find a dreamboat. And I, in fact, have to say that I have always had the most attractive partners ever. Anyone I have ever dated um, has been, like, hot beyond compare. And I guess we're not, you know, I guess perhaps uh, that's 
a common link. Um, I mean, it was always like, I may not be that cute, but my partner is, and like, you're all wondering like how the heck I got this person. Um, so I went out and found the dream boat of a lifetime, and I had the most exhilarating evening one night when I got all dressed up to go to this party with him, and it was a very like fancy affair in Los Angeles, and I had like a little carpet and everything, and um, and I, uh, um, I mean, I was higher than a kite. I was in the car. My body was like electric. I was like, <gasps> I was so high on this ego, right? You know, and like I start and like. As I became in relationship with this person, um, I very much, and intimacy started to grow. So whereas, like, before I was just, like, you know, doing these, like, little power trips, now I was actually starting to be, like, okay, so I will have sex with you. <laughs> and because that was, I couldn't really do that before. Um, I've had a really big wall around me and uh, you know ob the obvious metaphor for that is that I put on a lot of weight at a certain point to basically fend off the perpetrators and it worked it really worked and I uh, I couldn't uh, I didn't trust men and I avoided them and um, that's just my story I haven't figured this out yet, the sexuality thing. But um, I got involved in a relationship with a man. This was a big deal. Mom was so happy. And um, and I really started to go down fantasy lane where, like, he'll never have to know the monster I used to be. I mean, I took the photo albums of where I was, like, 200 and something pounds suck those as far away as I could put them and as far as I was concerned he was never going to know I would I mean this guy was going to marry me he was going to have children with me but I was going to take the secret that I was a fat girl to my grave right well okay my size may not have reflected you know the past but the compulsive overeater was as present as ever he saw it he was appalled you know he was like you know like I mean you know I just could like wolf down a bag of nuts or something like that and he'd be like geez did you leave me any and I'm just like um these are mine you know like I just <laughs> um <laughs> so so I, you know it, it it showed I wasn't really covering it up so well um but um yeah so the intimacy with that guy and I think uh trying to cover it up at that point I think I tried to take credit for the weight loss and I did I wasn't being real about the fact that that weight loss the miracle that I found a way after typing happy into Google and um, like the miracle of the whole thing and I, you know, all the cosmic trip outs I could share with you um, about the whole thing um, you know it was God it was God that it's God that's saving my life every day and um, and it's not me. I'm powerless. But I have a power. In admitting that I'm powerless, I get to admit, I get to then have a power greater than me. So this is like a no-lose deal. You're powerless. you got no power, okay? But here comes even more power than you thought you had. You know, so it's like, great. It's a great deal. You know, two votes for step two. So, like, um, 
Now, here's the thing. Um, you're going around, you're getting a lot of reactions. Sexual tension feels good. It's familiar. It comes from the past. It was a certain kind of hit I could get. And my sponsor said to me, my, today, my sponsor today wasn't the sponsor when this stuff was happening, but now she talks about, like, the choice perhaps to not date initially when you, until you reach your goal weight or whatever your sponsor says, um, is that so that you don't turn to um, sexual attention for that hit, that you for that validation, that you turn to God. So I'm working on this. I never did the no dating thing, um, obviously, or I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't exactly dating, but I was doing something. So um, I also want to talk about, like, how much fantasy I had wrapped around size. You know, like, my first diet after high school where I was going to, again, like, leave the past behind. No one would know who I used to be. And I, would lo I lost all this weight before I went to college. And then, um, and then it was like, I wanted to, I always share this in San Francisco, like, I wanted to be the girl in the Yoplait yogurt commercial who's, like, in her, like, camisole and undies and, like, has the Yoplait and, like, falls back into the bed of pillows and is smiling, like, ah! And she's, like, effortlessly lying around in her underwear eating, like, Yoplait. And um, I wanted to be that girl so bad. And you know what? I still do. Just last week. I uh, was on vacation, and I found out they had fruit salad with just a little dollop of lime sorbet. And I had just read Chapter 2 in the big book, There is a Solution. And I read Chapter 2, and I wanted to throw it across the beach. And, you know, ugh, I was so angry because it's like the reality is, is that, for me, this little dollop of lime sorbet what did not represent lime sorbet. This little dollop of lime sorbet represented that I was sexy, that I was in control, that I could be poolside just nibbling on a little lime sorbet because I'm lovely and feminine and in control and beautiful and sexy and, oh, oh, I'll leave a little over here. It won't bother me. Like, whatever. It's like, no. <laughs> like, that, that's not lime sorbet. Like, that, I'm picking up my whole identity, putting it into lime sorbet and my ability to control it, you know, um, And making it all about, it's not even about food anymore. It's about, it's about my identity and a fantasy around, like, my sexuality and that I'm beautiful because I can handle this food. You know what I mean? So um, those are some of the things I wanted to share about, like, it was my own, my own vanity I had to push through first. Then when I handed, over, handed it over to in a relationship and tried to not, and in that relationship was not honest about who I really was, I took that credit away from God and tried to take it on as my own. I also wanted to talk about fantasy and size. And um, and that whole idea of like playing the part. I wanted to play the part of the girl that I always thought I wanted to be. Now here I am today and I just don't get those hits anymore. You know, people just don't walk up to me anymore and go, oh my God, Marissa, what have you done? What has happened? You have lost so much weight. So much weight. So much. I'm like, all right. You know, it's like, yeah, I've lost a lot of weight. Yeah, things have changed. You know, like, 
And I just try to graciously now, so it's like, now, if that ever happens now today, the way, so maybe as far as dealing with sexual tension, the way I, the way I deal with it is I just simply say, he's a non-programmed person, I just simply say, thank you. Um, a lot of things have changed in my life. How are you? <laughs> um, so, and you know what? After a while, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, and, and then also, you know, no, like I said, nobody's like giving me the hit anymore. Nobody's like, wow, I can't believe it. I mean, cause, you know, now though, what's fun is that it's happening is after a couple years of absence, people are starting to tell me like, yeah, you know, a couple years ago, you were like really mean. I never thought I could tell you that now, but then, but I feel like I can tell you now because you seem so much different. You know, you're so much happier and open. I'm like, like, you know, it's just like really interesting. Like, okay, first you told now, first you tell me how fat you really thought I was, and now you're telling me what a bitch I really was. And you know, it's like, um, and it's all true. I was, I was quite overweight and I wasn't too nice. Um, and, uh, I'm not nice all the time now or anything, and um, but my point is, is that a lot has changed in my life, um, and I get to work my program around this sexual attention thing all the time, and the need in me to want you to like me because of my size, because of if I'm sexy, because if I can get you, and it all is about power, and the reality is that this power... That's my God-sized hole. It's part of this quest for power that's part of my God-sized hole. It comes from a deep down place inside. It comes from a little girl in a terry cloth onesie who's like six years old getting inappropriate attention from her teenage brothers and his friends. And so I can't go out and get that back, right? I can, I can work my program around, around that, and I'm working through it. And um, I'm just super grateful today that, um, that I have a program, that I'm not alone, and um, that I have a God that's always there for me. And um, I guess so I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to say dealing with my friend I told my friend in, in, in the program that I was going to be talking about sexual dealing with sexual tension, and she laughed. <laughs> you mean not dealing with sexual tension? That's what she said. Okay, my friend program. But um, but it's okay. I know what she meant. It's like I just feel like who better to share on like dealing with sexual tension than someone who just like was a hot mess around sexual tension. So it's, I just am so grateful that this topic is here tonight at the, at the convention. I think it's a huge deal to go through a weight loss and to, and to transform and literally have a different physical experience of the world. I, ha I walk through the world. I walk through rows of chairs. I can sit. I sit in a chair. It looks different. I see parts of the chair on the sides. You know, it's like, and at first it really made me feel power. I was scared. I was smaller. And it's just so important that we talk about this. Um, in a way, I think. So I'm just so grateful that this topic is brought to the convention and that we continue to share it in our fellowships back home. Okay? Thank you. Uh, where is the ask it basket? 
Okay, the speakers will now draw questions from the Ask It Basket for the remainder of the meeting. I'm afraid to lose weight due to not knowing how to handle unwanted sexual attention. What to do? Any suggestions? Ugh. Well, that's a great question, and obviously it goes back to the steps. It's about working the steps on all these areas in our life. And um, I mean, obviously, with the help of a sponsor, but you have, okay, you have to. My experience has been that I didn't think that I could get through a day without sugar, and I didn't think that I could get through a day without flour, and I didn't think that I could change jobs, and I didn't think that I could write a 10 step, and I didn't think I could take an inventory, and I didn't think, I mean, I, I think our disease tells us you can't do that, and that's a lie. We can. We can lose more weight. We can have a healthy sex life. We can be in a relationship that works and is loving. We deserve to be valued and we deserve to be loved. Our disease tells us that we can't. It's a lie. And the only hope we have is to go to a power greater than ourselves. The only hope we have is to work this program, to talk about it, to work with our sponsors, to write about it, to look at what are the character defects, what are the motives, what are, what are the lies that I have in my head. You know, it, it, my experience has been that oftentimes I'll say, oh, I can't, I'm too weak. But the truth is that I'm too lazy or I'm, I just don't want to give that defect up. I mean, it, I think that it is scary having been, you know, I was much more comfortable as, as a, a, I was very comfortable as a fat woman at 263 pounds. I was really comfortable because nobody really asked much of me. And uh, there's a lot of work to um, obtaining and maintaining a healthy relationship. It doesn't come at no cost because we have to deal with people. So it's a lot of work. It's worth it. It's worth the pain, and pain is the cover price. What did they say? Pain is the price of admission to a new life. Have to have a little pain. Have to have a little suffering. Have, and there's nothing more painful than rigorous honesty. So um, my my response would be, don't let the disease deprive you of the love that you deserve. You deserve it. And work hard, push hard, and get to um, get to the core issues that are going to help you really live the life that your purpose to live. Okay. How do you handle sexual attention now? How do I handle sexual attention now? With humility, I think. With perspective. Um, and again, this idea of like rigorous honesty. One of the things is today, sexual attention, like I said, sexual attention to me is loaded with power. Okay? And so, I can recognize the fears in myself. What's the fear behind the sexual tension? And how does it threaten these, these old conflicts with power? 
And today I can share with you that I know the bliss of feeling sensual without without the anger and the motivation and the manipulation of uh, of that sexual tension thing, you know. So it's like, how do I deal with it now? With grace, with God's help, you know, with with humor, you know, with being right sized, with knowing like that I'm just one among many, and we're human beings, you know, and that um, am I am I am I safe here? Like you know, like I I, I really that's what I need from God a lot is 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 I wasn't safe as a child, but you know, am I safe today? And if I'm safe. A lot of times my ability to know if I'm safe comes from my ability to trust in my higher power and that I am safe. So as long as I'm not being threatened, I'm safe, God is protecting me, and that's how I deal with sexual attention. How does it make me feel? I do intense stuff. I talk to my sponsor. I share about it at meetings. That's all we can do is work the program. And um, I really like what you said about the disease wants to rob us of our full life experience. So sexual attention just comes with the, it's like the weather, you know what I mean? It's it's there. So I don't need to let my disease rob me of, of being in life. I don't have to hide from sexual attention, from life, from a, from a success, from anything um, at the cost of, you know, for the disease. So the disease can, you know, go screw it. So, um, yeah, that's what I guess I should Wow. How has your recovery from male attention improved your financial situation or goals? How has recovery from male attention improved your financial situation or goals? Hmm. I don't know that it has. I, I, my financial situation, I never really considered it attached to um, sexual attention other than having to save you know having to spend more money on nicer underwear um, hmm. how has my recovery from male oh you know what actually uh, now that I think about it like a grown-up how about this how about I do a better job at work if I'm not worried about the men who are coming to visit me or who I'm going to see on the way to the cafeteria, if I'm not using, if I'm not using sexual tension, that, that, that back and forth, that dance, if that's not a part of who I am as a worker, and, and I have to tell you, I've had to do a lot of work about my character defect of sloth. And one of the reasons that I would be flirtatious and I would be manipulative is so that I didn't have to do the work. If I had the support of, and I, and again, like a heat-seeking missile, I know who those important guys are. I don't know how. I just know who they are. And then I get up close and I see the badge. Bingo. If I could rally the support of those important men, then I wouldn't have to do my job 100%. I could give a half measure but still keep my job. So now I'm really not concerned about keeping my job for the sake of keeping my job. 
I'm concerned about doing a good job and honoring my God. And, you know, living these principles in all my affairs, doing the best I possibly can, and having the humility to walk away at the end of the day knowing I did the best I could. That's why I go to work now. It's not about manipulating the men so that I can get this job. It's about really doing a good job and getting a nice increase and a nice bonus. Because now we're on a system where I get graded and I get judged on my customer service scores. And um, they've gone through the roof. Ever since I did that work inventory, I sat down and wrote all my work and my character defects, my scores have gone way up. So I've benefited because I'm putting integrity and the principles of this program into my work rather than focusing on how I can use my sexual prowess to gain anything. Men used to harass me when I was young and had a figure like a Playboy bunny. I just lost 65 pounds and look much better. I find I am afraid when men make advances. I hope this won't affect my abstinence. What tools can I use to handle sexual advances? Um, this is kind of, kind of like, I don't know how much more I have to say about that. Um, what tools? The same tools you do, you use to deal with the food, like the same, the same stuff. Um, But I don't mean to say that in like a condescending way. What I'm saying is you, like, for me, it's like I've given myself permission to work my program around whatever I need to. And ultimately, when I work my program around whatever fears that are going on or current things that are going on, and if that thing right now is advances, sexual advances, I need to work my program, daily maintenance, um, daily maintenance of my abstinence, daily maintenance around the stuff going on in my life, that will support my abstinence. So the same tools I would turn to to support my abstinence, of course, are the same tools to help me around sexual tension. So I give myself permission to open up my program to include my whole spiritual life, um, all of me. Like that all of me, God knows and understands and sees all of me. And to please God, help me to be abstinent so I don't lose myself. Um, Because if I'm not abstinent, I'll lose myself and these things will take me under. So I would say abstinence first. And whatever whatever work you're doing to support your abstinence is going to support your life. So, you know. What was the most important lesson you learned from your recovery? That's a great question. Mm. Thus far, because I I hope that I'll be learning lessons. I think um, that I am safe, that my needs will be taken care of, that I can trust this program. 
all the answers are right here. I don't need to seek anywhere else. I am safe. I am taken care of. Because that was, of course, you know, my biggest fear coming in. I just, I just lived in a world of, of not believing that I was going to be taken care of, that my needs were going to be met. And, you know, it's a lot of years of feeling insecure. But the best lesson I've learned in these rooms is that God sees me, all of me, good and bad, and that I can be delivered from this demon disease, that I can get through and thrive with the help of this program and my higher power. That's changed the way I see everything. It's changed the message that I bring to my children. It's changed my attitude about every day, knowing that God sees what I'm going through. I'm going to be fine. My needs are going to be taken care of. I don't need to fear. I just need to keep coming back because what I hear in here, these 12 steps, this is it. This is how I get through life. This is my recovery. This is my hope. And so, as my sponsor said, get in the middle of the hurt. Get in the middle of the hurt. Get in the middle of the hurt. I'm here. I'm safe. I'm loved. And that's all I need. Marissa, did you escape from the men who are chasing you? Well, thankfully I did. It actually was a pretty dangerous situation. <laughs> um, but I did. And um, nobody's really chasing me right now. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I did escape, and I and I think I'm gratefully escaped from the need to have to play those kinds of dangerous games, put myself at risk. So um, I'm grateful for that. Thank God. Yeah, don't recommend uh, doing that. <laughs> Do another. Okay. Um. Oh, when you are sexually attracted to someone. Are there any tools you use to get past your own insecurity and make a move? This is a good one because, okay, like I really teeter-totter between I have a lot of shame and I really want to punish myself for the way I acted in recovery or with the whole like buying party dresses and doing all that stuff. I really want to be like, so anytime I like want to look good, I feel guilty, you know, now. And then it's a, it's a weird thing. So it's like um, I just have to remind myself, today is a day where God wants me to enjoy the, the, the gifts that I've been given, enjoy my blessings. There's no shame in that. God wants me to experience the full happiness. It's okay if I want to look good today. And, um, and I also have humility around that. So as far as like, so I have some distrust with myself around my motivations, like if I am attracted to someone. I really do, like, are there any tools? Like, for me, I really do have to step back and look at my motivations, talk to somebody, use the phone, write, pray, 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 um, all those things so that I know that, like, my motivations are in line with God's will. And then um, and when they are, when I ask God, you know, please help me, you know, what is your will for me? Is it your will for me that I go, like, 
make a move on this guy? Like, um, is, is, it, is it your will for me? Okay, God, please help me to to accept your will and have the strength to carry it out in a recovered way. You know, it's the same prayer, whether I'm deciding if it's something I need to eat, if it's something somewhere I need to go. What is your will for me? Please give me the strength to carry it out. I am married to a wonderful man. I have a son. I do not want to destroy my life. When I lost weight two times and got very close to cheating each time because I so wanted to be wanted and to feel sexy. So I gained the weight back. I want to stay thin and feel good. Stay married. Yeah. Um, Is that... You know, I mean, I think that sounds really smart. Um, as, as, okay, here's what I can, my experience has been with my husband. When I first came into the program, he was such an idiot. Gosh, he was an idiot. Well, I had trained him to be an idiot, right? Because he was just responding to what I was feeding him, really. And part of the work that um, I've done, oh, and I'm so grateful for God's influence in my life, but so much of the work that I've done has been on my marriage. And um, I can remember when I first started working the program, I bitch and bitch and bitch and complained about my husband and my sponsor who... Um, she would say, leave him alone, leave him alone, leave him alone, leave him alone. Because I just was so full of self by the time I came to this program. I was so selfish and self-centered. It never occurred to me that he might have needs. never occurred to me that he might have a voice, that he might have needs, that he might, um, you know, that he might be a little bit upset about the woman who I had become. And as I've moved forward and done this work, I've realized how much I've damaged my marriage. And, you know, there was a point, really a pivotal point, where I could decide, well, what do, what do I want? You know, do I want to stay married to this man who just drove me crazy because he never participated? And he came, well, you know, I trained him not to participate because he could never do anything right. I trained him to just shut up because everything he said, I told him how he was wrong. So, you know, Allison, here's your point. Do you want to save this marriage or do you want to just sell the house and get a condo and a smaller dog and start all over again and that that was really my choice and I remember having a and I work this with my sponsees I mean it's so common to all of us I, I can remember having this conversation with him about I really want to have a partnership you know I want to improve this marriage and gosh he was just so closed off and it was we were at such odds at it but I can tell you that today today I have a husband, you know, to love and to cherish and to honor. I have a husband who
who cares about me, who cares about where I'm going. He cares about what I think. He cares about my day. He does little things. He picks me up those little waters wherever he goes. He buys me a pack of sugarless gum, and he brings it home. He just needed a little attention. He just needed a little love. He just wanted to be heard. He wanted to tell me about his day. I never asked him. I was so selfish with everything in my life. Men are pretty simple in my experience. You know, they don't require a lot. They just, just some consideration. How are you? So I think it's really awesome that you want to stay married. I think that is honorable and noble, and I think that God honors, you know, marriages and commitments. Um, But it's an inside job. Everything that I wanted in a husband, I had to give as a wife. If I wanted to be, if I wanted to have a really good husband, I had to be a really good wife. And sometimes he just wants me to watch CSI with him. Really, he just wants me to sit on the couch and hang with him. He's simple like that. But I just make everything so complicated and convoluted. And as I lost the weight and kept the weight off, working these steps, I got to work them on every aspect of my life, and that included my marriage. And I have never seen such polar opposites in what it was like and what it's like now. He wants to be my BFF, he tells me. Go. I said, okay, that's fine. So... Thank you both. It was wonderful. So I read that wrong. It is now time to close. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service. You got double applause that way. Please stand and join hands as we close with the OA promise. I put my hand in yours.